Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of the Dogbone Podcast. This one is an episode that I did with Grayson Geyer of the Companion Gun Dog. And it was in kind of in response to a podcast we had done earlier with Nick Adair and Bob Owens for Gun Dog It Yourself. Um, I, I think you'll enjoy it. It was a, a episode that Grayson had reached out on, reached out to me on, and we decided to sit down and, and talk about some pretty uncomfortable stuff. I think we covered a lot of stuff, so I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, appreciate your support listening to this as well as um, our other podcasts. If you would do me a favor, if you enjoy these, if you get something out of them, please do me the favor of leaving it a rating um, or a review and uh, make a comment also. Um, it, I read them and it, it helps us better understand how we can help you. So thanks. I appreciate all the support and enjoy. You're listening to the Companion Gun Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Geyer, and with me today is Jeremy Moore of Dogbone Hunter and Moore Outdoors. Um, Jeremy, I'm gonna let I'm gonna turn the floor over to him in just a bit after uh after we discuss why Jeremy's with me today, but uh quickly we'll lead in. And uh, you know, Jeremy was recently on a podcast with Nick Adair of Gun Dog It Yourself and Bob Owens of Lone Duck Chronicles and uh and it was uh, something that Nick has titled trainer fights in kind of a, a cheeky fashion, but, but this one was a, uh, was a bit contentious and it was a really, I thought it was a really important podcast. Um, and as I listened to it, I, I found myself having a pretty visceral reaction and, uh, and I really wanted to reach out and talk to somebody quickly. Um, and, and so I did reach out to Jeremy and, uh, and he has kindly agreed to speak with me um on this podcast here so i'm going to just again turn the floor over to jeremy uh please sir if you wouldn't mind just give us a bit of your background and and we'll go ahead and get this thing rolling sure well I, first off i appreciate you reaching out um like you said um it was an, it's been interesting some feedback from that podcast w with the guys over at uh with bob and nick um my name is jeremy moore uh we i have this real small company um training product company uh, called Dogbone, and I train dogs and um, I'm a real big believer in the idea of if you're if your business is products you you should be a practitioner so um, I, I'm, I live in Wisconsin a um, little north of, of Green Bay and I, I'm not a kennel by any means so I think that that's an important part of it but I've been training dogs for quite a while um, and, and I've my as far as some of the and I, I imagine you know we're we're coming into this I think intentionally without a lot of prep. Um, you had reached out to me on it. Um, you had mentioned you know you want to talk ahead of time. Do you, you have any questions prior? And I don't um, because I think the reason I think that is important is I want to I don't want to come into it with any preconceived notions. I, I've I'm I'm sure that we'll have some differing opinions on stuff. I think that's, that's understandable. Um, but to me, authenticity is really important. And so, um, you know, as far as, as far as this conversation, where we go with it, I don't know where we're going and that's not, you know what, it's kind of exciting to me, to be honest with you. Cause I enjoy, I enjoy stuff like that. I think that my hope with that podcast that you're referring to, my hope with that was 
to initiate some action in people's minds and 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 well started in their minds and transferred to their feet and hands and 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 create movement as opposed to head nodding i just i get i listen to a lot of podcasts and i get um i get a lot of information from them and i really enjoy them but i also get tired uh, to a degree of some of them because they seem to be so 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 one-sided and so to me there's there's a lot more value in in conversation and i think conversation is a, a two-way thing and and so when you reached out i first i think how oh, you did i think you first tagged me in something wasn't it didn't you take me in a, a, a post of yours or something yeah I, I went back i uh let's see last year uh probably later in the summer of 2022 i did a well actually through the whole summer of 2022 i i did a series on force fetching my own dog mm -hmm. and and i i really tagged you in it with uh with the idea that you would immediately kind of know my perspective and it was the tag was like hey you want to chat kind of sure. thing yep and uh and so it wasn't, you know, I wanted to kind of be and that. The reason I did that whole video series in the first place was like a transparency thing. It was a complete series of, of me going through a force fetch process, uh, completely unedited. And, and because I didn't think much of that existed on the internet, I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of curated and, and like edited content and looking back on it now, I mean, I, you know, I'm glad I did it, but also at the same time, I still feel exposed when I go back and look at it, you know, and, sure. and uh, but that, but that was, yeah, the general idea. And, yeah. Um, you know, and, yeah. And when I, when I saw that, um, you know, certainly, I certainly wasn't going to not respond, but to, to it, from my perspective, I went, well, I, I'm interested here. So, and, and I'm not interested in, you know, my interest level in, I call it stirring the pot is, is minimal to non-existent. Like I'm not looking to pick fights. I'm that's not in my nature. Um, sure. But but what I what I do think is healthy discussions really really valuable. And so when I once I once you tag me, then I I looked at some of that stuff. And I I mean I spent I don't know how many hours I, I watched it. I watched your series. Um, we it. we ended up research. And I I I say that you know I'm really close to finishing. I think I've got four four or five. I'm up to twenty. As far as I could tell, I kind of scrolled ahead. I think there was 30 of them, and I think I'm into 23 or 24 right now. Um, but and we can talk on that later. But so I, I was, I thought it was important to. We messaged, I think, DM'd after that, and yeah. and then coordinated to do this and um, appreciate your flexibility in in doing it. And and I, so that was that was my prep. And I think that you'll get a better you'll get a better if you want to call it a product, you'll, you'll get a better product out of it, uh, by us introducing ourselves like we are right now. Like, and I, I just think that that creates, it creates a very realistic situation. And that's to me, um, I think it's valuable. Yeah, I, I, I really agree. And, and so, um, yeah. So for those listening, it's, I think it's obvious at this point, these are the very first words Jeremy and I have ever exchanged with one another, um, other than really brief, uh, mm -hmm messenger on instagram um you know and and so and he and he graciously agreed and when i like i said when i first reached out i think i i was i was probably um put it this way we we originally agreed to tuesday and it didn't work out and i'm really glad it didn't because <laughs> I, I i wouldn't say i was hot 
but I, I was certainly in a more confrontational mood. But just the time of the last two days has allowed me to mellow. I'll, I will tell you, Jeremy, that both I've, and this was completely unrelated and odd. I, I've ended up speaking to Bob and Nick both in the interim and, uh, and it wasn't revolving around you at all, but they both advocated for you, you just to tell sure. me what a good guy you were. And, and, and I've also had time to, to consume and digest some of your content. I find you, um, you know, a really sympathetic character. I, 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 I like what you have to say and I, and I believe that your intentions are, are honest and, and real. And so, um, you know, so it's, again, I, I think the timing and, and, having to, to that couple of days to cool off has been fortuitous for me because uh because now i'm I'm really interested in and in potentially you know what we have to offer our little community and when i say little i mean i'm i'm nowhere near um any of you guys in terms of of my internet presence and and some of that's by design i have a a small audience but i i'd like to think that they're kind of uh somewhat well-informed audience, at least the kind that would listen to me, because this is not by nature a very entertaining podcast, I don't think. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, man, so, I, I'm in the same boat. I always tell people we're not wide, we're deep. Like, we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of following and we don't have a ton of eyes on us. And, but the people that are, I think are, are on another level of commitment, which is more important and more valuable to me than volume. Sure. And so I'm a, I think that is a, it's something that's repeated often in my mind and, and actions is, you know, I, I'm not necessarily interested in bigger. Uh, I yeah. like, I do like better, but, you know, I like to improve. And so sure. that, that is a, that's a kind of a, a theme or, or, you know, something that, that I think we, we try to live by as best we can. Sure. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and I guess, you know, with that said, kind of going right at the meat and potatoes of this thing, um, you know, something I heard you say in Nick's podcast was that, you, you know, he had done one with Bob previously. And as you were listening to it, it was kind of triggering some things in you and, and you were, you would wish you could have some input immediately, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I was feeling that same thing, listening to y'all's podcast. Sure. Um, and, and so for those that haven't yet listened to that, you know, you probably want to just hit the pause button and go find it. And I, I, I wish I had, was came more prepared. I don't know what episode number that is, but I can't imagine it would be too terribly hard to find. It'll be, um, gun dog yourself, trainer fight, uh, Jeremy Moore and Bob Owens. Um, but it, it, essentially, you know, Bob comes from what I would consider kind of the modern American, uh, retriever training tradition uh, is is kind of oxymoronic as uh, modern and tradition are, and and I'll, I'll let you describe maybe if you have what influences you've had to this point, and and maybe if you, I think it's kind of pigeon pigeonholing yourself to, yeah. to label on yourself, but totally maybe what your major influences have been to this point. Yeah, that's a great point um, because it's oftentimes asked, you know, and it's. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I think it's oftentimes referred to as, you know, your style or dog bone style or the dog bone methods. And I, I, there are none. Like I, I, I'm remind, I'm quickly to, I, I'm very quick to remind people that's, that's not, that's not my intentions, nor is it what I think is actually there. Like I'm a, I'm a complete ship picking up barnacles, man. Like I, I am just going through and, and finding 
bits and pieces and have been, um, you know, when I first started out, I, I had my first, my, my, my mom and dad, um, growing up, we had golden retrievers and my mom actually bred, bred on a very small scale, um, field goldens. And when I say field goldens, they were up field golden lines, but we weren't that big of hunting. Uh, they were 99%, um, sold to families that hunted, but they were family dogs. I mean, they were, it was, it, and that's what we were. And so, so my background was, you know, growing up with golden retrievers in a very, very informal way. Uh, nobody in my family trained a dog to any level that I would say was training. Like we had them, they were family dogs and they were great family dogs. And part of it, I think had to do with the breed and part of it had to do with the culture that they were raised in. And so that was how I grew up. And then I got serious about, I bought a lab. Um, my first one was when I was in college and I, I did it because my buddies were all big time waterfallers. Uh, I went to a school that was over on the west side of the state close to minnesota and all the minnesota guys that i became very good friends with and still are really good friends with these guys they're just they're a different level of hockey and they're a different level of waterfalling <laughs> they just that that's that's their thing so i had to get a labrador i couldn't i had to go i brought my parents golden retriever to school and you know the girls liked it but it wasn't what i was going to take into the field so i decided i was going to get a lab i did i bought one um and it was an american dog in of of american lines and so um i trained it i i fumbled my way through the training and it was a really nice dog and it was of of lines that were hunting lines but very much like family dog first hunting lines and so real easy dog to work with um never used any type of i and first off i couldn't afford a collar back then i read about stuff and i tried to learn because i wasn't sure how to do this and so that's where I first really was experimenting with it. And honestly, I couldn't afford to buy a training collar. And that was probably the first reason I didn't. And then I realized I don't know that I need it. I was getting pretty good results without it. And then I ran into um, a different, well, everyone wants to call it a different style of training, but it's, it's a style of training. And it was more of like this British style. And so I hate, you know, We've, we, we've become really good at, at, as a society, we've become really good at like branding stuff. And I think it's a very important part of business. Like I, I'm not knocking it by any means. In fact, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I really pay close attention to it. And so, but like I ran into, I was at a Ducks Unlimited event. Um, there used to be a, um, it was called a DU Great Outdoors show, I think. And they had one up here in Wisconsin back then. And Mike Stewart was there with Wild Rose Kennels and I watched him work dogs and man, I watched him and I really enjoyed what I saw. And I just, I started following that a little bit and I started paying attention to it. One of the first things that I picked up from that, that, that crowd or that group was a book, Robert Miller book. And it was back to the basics approach, retriever training back to the basics, I think it's called. Yep. And I re it's the first, I, I think it's probably one of the first books I actually remember reading, like really reading, actually reading it front to front, you know, front to back. And I really liked it. And it made so much sense to me. It was real practical, I thought. And so that was really where I started um, understanding a little bit more maybe and practicing some of it with this dog of mine. And from there I was, a pretty big believer in it. And I ended up, um, 
over the years now, I, I spent a lot of time at Wild Rose Kennels. I did did some business with them for a long time. Uh, trained a lot of dogs out of their kennel. I bought several dogs from Robert Mueller over the years. I bought some dogs from a kennel called Blue Cypress Kennel. Um, I, I, I so I I think I gravitate towards what would be commonly known as like a British style training, but it's you know that's like putting it in a group or a bucket, and all of a sudden you do that, and you're that you're that guy. And sure. I'm going, well, okay, so maybe I am. But when you, so when you ask, what is me? Well, I'm a little bit of that. And then I'm a little bit of like, more recently, like very recently, um, I bought a setter puppy. And so she's about a year and a half old now, going to be a year and a half old. And I, for, oh, that's a whole nother rabbit hole, but I've really enjoyed that. And uh, people like um, Jerry Coulter is at Northwoods Bird Dogs. That's who I got the dog from and spent quite a bit of time with him. And um, he's a collar guy. He's just a collar and um, learning a lot <clears> from him. Um, but because of that, I read a couple of books by Bob Whaley. I read a couple of books by Delmar Smith. I've, I I think Bill Tarrant is a real powerful person in my life as far as dog sure. training goes. Mike Gould. Um, so some of these guys are like, I didn't, I didn't meet them personally, all of them. I didn't train with all yep. of them personally. They've all had pretty powerful impacts. You know, there's a book called, um, I think it's called The Guns, the the guns dog i think it's graham cox i think is the name is the author on it um that's a really nice little read that i read probably five years ago and i was like god that's a nice little refresher read and but the list could go on like you know the oh, sure. you know um john halstead is is old john the in in yep. england so that he's got a great series he's got he has a thing called the the drake heads way uh, or the drake head way and so you know, Mike Stewart has the wild rose way. This guy has that way. This guy has that way. They all have their own way. And I think that my, my approach has been, um, don't create your own way just because I don't know that when you do that, I think you run into a, a lot of problems because the dogs don't read those books and the dogs didn't watch those DVDs and the dogs didn't listen to that podcast. So I feel like I have to be the fluid one in the relationship and when I have to steal or rob from this one, I'll do it. And then when I have to drop that stuff and pick this up, I'll do it. I got a, I got a mic. You probably know Lardy. I'm sure that you're familiar with that name. Um, I have Mike Lardy. Oh yeah. Lardy. I'm sorry. I think it's a Marty. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm very familiar with Lardy. So I bought a huge package of information of his, um, watched, watched most of it. Um, it, there's just I, the list could go on and on. I got sure, sure. He's helped me with a ton of stuff. He trains with Jim Van Ingen. That's a name in the field trial world. I think anyone in field trials knows that stuff, knows him. Um, I've been down to his place. I, I just, I don't have a way um, that I would say is my way or, but I do think I have a direction that I like to go. And I think that when I start with a puppy, it's not all that different from dog to dog for me. And the general direction that we go is really similar. And the more, the more I've done it, the longer I've done it, the less variation I've seen. I think the changes are always there, but they're more subtle. And that's, you know, we're talking uh, 20, it would be, uh, be 23 years ago, the first lab. And I really kind of count that as when I first figured out how to start actually training a dog. And so, um, 
that was 23 years ago and then a british dog and that wasn't a that was an american lab but the i trained her the same way as i do these british dogs and i'm, I'm a big fan of them and um that's been, i'm going on 21 years of training of, of owning and, and having british dogs so i don't yeah. know if that answers your question it, no it's great and it's 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 uh, you know, I'm sitting here as you're talking, just nodding along with you because you're you're rattling off um, names that are very important to me as well. You know, and and influences and and books, especially. Um, you know, just just for you, uh, because we're getting familiar with each other, I'll I'll go really quickly. But we have very similar backgrounds. I assume we're probably close to the same age. Um, I I ended up. I, I got my start in the protection sport and kind of police dog side of this thing. And and I trained on and off professionally through my twenties, but was going to college and was in the military for a lot of that. And and so a lot of my really early influences were, were the big players in like Schutzen and um, in the ring sports and, and whatever else. And so mm-hmm. I still, uh, I still wear a lot of that influence um, and really, you know, the retriever influence came to me in my, my thirties. I I went to work for a company that trained bomb dogs out of uh, the Pinehurst area of North Carolina. And I got, I was lucky enough to work. Like my first boss there was a guy named Ben Vallon, who was uh, Mike Lardy's longtime assistant um, back when, uh, when lean Mac was running and Patton and stuff like that. And, uh, and then my second boss was a guy named Craig Crook, who is now running under Andy Atar's truck, um, and went in everything in Georgia this month, I'm sure. But, but he was with Van Ingen for a long time. And so, you know, these traditions kind of come down to us. And so those were the Americans. And then, and I, and I don't, you know, I don't want to just name drop, but it's just for you. So, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that we're, we're sharing some of the same influences. And then I've got very, you know, ended up just just by circumstance, um, becoming good friends with, uh, with Robin Watson later when I was working for a service dog agency. And, and so had a lot of British influence and learned a lot working with him on a daily basis for a long time. And, and so those, you know, our, our backgrounds are very intertwined. Um, and, and so I'm sure with all of our differences, you, you know, in opinion, uh, we've been exposed to much of the same stuff. And I think, and I think for all of us in the gun dog community, we are, we're much closer to each other than it feels sometimes. And I think that that was my major concern listening to Nick's podcast was because I spent so much of my early career, not only in protection dogs, but I was doing a lot of pet dog work. Um, The, the rift in the pet training community has especially in the last 20 really since we've been going at it you and i um has not only grown but it's just such a vitriolic uh, and and divisive world between especially the when people that call themselves purely positive trainers and and you know what what i would just consider regular dog trainers but what may be considered the balanced dog training community um and that's it's gotten uglier and uglier and recently, you know, it's, it seems to be getting worse. And, and one thing I've been very concerned about is, you know, the banning of tools. And, and so for me personally, I think we, you and I could probably talk 
for 10 hours without taking a breath. Sure. Um, you know, but I, I want to, to focus some of our energy today on, on a few things, you know, and, and the, I think the major points of contention would be the e-collar, uh, when I listened to that podcast and, and of course the force fetch, and I don't know that we've got even time to cover both of those subjects today in a way that would, uh, would keep everyone engaged. I don't mind going long, but at the same time, I think, I think there's a possibility we could have a good chemistry and rapport and probably be able to circle back and do one of these later, maybe on sure. your podcast, you know, um, or whatever. So, so, you know, m- moving forward, just letting you know, those, those were the, the, the bones, I guess, that, that just naturally felt like needed picking for me. Yeah. Um, and, it, and the, the, the number one being, Hey, I'm scared. When I, when I listened to that, it automatically made me think, Oh God, I've, I've always felt like I've been avoiding this conflict in the gun dog world because we have our own little corner of creation over here. Um, and, and I was worried that maybe we were bringing some of that in when I listened back to it and then listen to more of your stuff, that's less of a concern to me, but it's still something I want to address and let folks know that exists in the world. And then, uh, I would like for us to talk probably first about the e-collar. So I'll let you, I'll let you go just based on like what your knowledge of the, of the general training industry is. And, and, you know, I know you, I've seen you say you're not a purely positive trainer and, and, sure. you know, go for yeah. it. Yeah, no, I think, um, to summarize the idea of the influences that we've had, like, I think it's really clear to say it's a really small world. Like I, I, our dog world is super small and, and I don't, I don't care if you're talking just sporting dogs. I think the dog world in general is really small. There's very few industries that are huge. So we're, we're always kind of chewing the same dirt, I think. And um, that's important. I don't think some people realize that because, you know, I, I went in, I came into it early on with a, uh, I went through fate. I've gone through some phases over what I think is a relatively short period of time, 20 some years. And I think that, that I've already changed up and down a, a few different ways. And, um, but it, but I didn't recognize or realize half that until more recently. So we're, we are, you know, so I'm, and as far as, yeah, we could, we could talk forever on this stuff. And I, and I oftentimes do. And throughout the day, that's typically what I am doing with a variety of different people. So I'm not, you know, I'll get more comfortable as we go. You'll probably get more comfortable with me as we go. But like, I'm, you know, as I walk into this right now, or as I, we sit down to this right now, like, yeah, I'm, I'm um, I, I feel like I'm going to, I want to approach it, uh, as truthful as honest as possible that's all I, that's what i'm really we're really worried about really concerned about is that there's just no bullshit you know i, I you gotta and and i'm not afraid I, I won't be afraid to hurt your feelings um don't be i don't want you to be feel like you know fucking don't hold back man I, i'm good sure. with it so but yeah i you know and and you know so there's that and then the idea of um uh, and we can we can talk on this more but when you start asking you know you bring up the idea of the collar I certainly don't want to make, I don't want it to be mistaken. And maybe I do a poor job of, of, of representing this, but the last thing I'm in favor of is legal talking legal terms of like taking away freedoms. I am a, so first of all, I should back up to this. So you had mentioned, so you served, huh? Uh, yeah. For, well, yeah. Go well, ahead. 
and you train dogs in service? I did I'm not. Sure. I was, I was actually a medic, but I, okay. um, just at my, my origin story, if you will, as far as dog training is concerned is I, I just happened to be working, uh, at a school and we had a demonstration by the MPs and they let me put on the sleeve. And then, you know, a couple sure. weeks later yeah. I had a Malinois puppy and was a member of the Schutzen club. You know? Sure. What branch? Did, were you I was in the Navy. I was a, a Navy corpsman. I appreciate it, man. I, I, appreciate I, it. I, I, my grandpa was Navy. I got his suit. Like, his, I mean, it, it, he, he served in World War II, but, um, so I, here, this, this, so first off, thank you for that. And second off, that's the stuff that's really important to me. Uh, like our country and the the rights and the freedoms that we have it's a big difference i think than what we that is other places of the world and i'm pretty damn grateful for it so the last thing i want is i had a guy actually reach out to me it was an instagram thing and he, somehow i got tagged into it along with like 23 other trainers or something but i somehow i got in it and and it was a huge thing about like multi-post rant about um legalization or, or making illegal the use of an e-collar and I thought how the hell did I get it in this circle <laughs> I, I I've never and I never will be yeah. in favor of something like that I I I like the opportunities to to do what we want to do and how we want to do it as long as it's within reason and not hurting most people you know like that's that's that's, sure. that's a great part of our country so but I so I put that out there as a as a preempt but I I'm not, I'm not in the, the other thing is, is I'm not about trying to convince yourself or anybody else that's listening to this, that's super pro or, or a, a user of the idea of, of, of e-collars. Like I, I write, I, I write, mag I write for a magazine, I write for Gundog magazine. And I already see the shit that goes on with, with be careful. What, what, I have to be careful what I write. I'm not, I don't. And, and my editor is great and I really love her. She's, she's given me probably a little bit longer leash, not to no pun, but she's given me a little bit more freedom to, to express what I, how I want to write it. And, and I, but she'll edit stuff too. She won't let me, you know, she'll edit shock collar. I like to call it a shock collar. It's for impact. It's power. It's a word. It, it, Sure. It, it's it's in, it's intentional like there's yeah, nothing no, yeah there's no nothing problem with that. there's nothing we don't do in general that isn't you know there's very few things that are really unintentional like people do you know there's purpose behind stuff and i i, I find value in that but so i i have to be careful about some of that stuff and but i well i don't have to be careful but you know you should be but when i look at it I got tagged into this thing about the the banning of them and that's not my thing and i'm not here to convince other people to not use them if you want to use them, use them. It's not my intentions are not to try to turn someone off of something that they believe in. That's not my job. Sure. My, but what I what I want to do is there is a lot of people that reach out that, that get in contact with me. There's a lot of people that give me feedback after they've stumbled upon us somehow and give me this is what keeps me kind of moving forward with this with this belief is. There's a lot of people that reach out and go, I'm so glad that I found your stuff because I was afraid I had to go to the collar because that's what I heard. That's what people, everyone told me. That's what I thought I had to do. And it's a credit to that industry because they've done a very good job of marketing it. And so, but I don't necessarily believe you have to do that. I don't believe you have to do that. So for me, the, the, the objective is touch the people that are maybe on the fence, touch the people that are that don't want to do it and help them understand ways that they can find success 
without it. Yeah. And, no. and so, you know, that's, that, I think that's important to understand because it, it takes people's guard down at times when I go, Hey, I'm not trying to take your collars. Like, sure. You, sure. You know, pry it out of my dead body hands. No, it's not, that's not it. <laughs> well, and that, I mean, and that's so, I, I automatically and, and as I like I said had the opportunity to consume more of your stuff I I kind of got that you know that you that was not your your objective it it you know I think when when we get into these heated conversations and I'm I'm referencing and it wasn't really even that heated it was just, it was good but it you know one thing is it's it's tough to keep uh it's tough to keep these things on track especially if you're just kind of spitballing which it always makes for better content in my opinion but sometimes it it doesn't flow sure. chronologically maybe the way you wish it would and so um you know so just immediately you know m- my first response was oh gosh here we go you know because in in a lot of continental europe the the e-collar is already banned mm-hmm. um it's you know i in in the uk i don't think it's banned but i think it's really uncouth which i get and i, I don't have a problem with with their traditions of training and i think I agree with you. I think the aesthetic, uh, I'm, I find it very appealing. Mm-hmm. Just, just the, the, a dog at heel without a collar on, um, you know, in that, in that UK fashion, I think it looks really, really cool. I can't do it. I can't wear a collared shirt and not feel out of place. You know, I'm, I'm a guy mm-hmm. that wears t-shirt and blue jeans every day of my life. And, uh, and, and so it, I, I just, whenever I feel like I'm doing something and I, it's not that I don't appreciate an aesthetic sense, um, because I, I, you know, my grandfather was the kind of guy that, that wore a suit when he went to town, you know, and, sure. and, and he did it because he thought it was respectful to other people, you know, sure. to, to, so I, I recognize that and, and, um, and I appreciate it and I don't mean to just take it in that direction, but I think aesthetics plays a major role. Uh, and, and you did one thing you said is you just don't like the look and, and it may be the look of a dog that's wearing a collar or maybe the look of a dog that's been trained with a collar. Um, and, and you feel like maybe you can see it. And so just for clarification's sake, you know, is it, do you think that, do you think you can look at a dog that's been trained with an e-collar and tell that it's been trained with an e-collar? Uh, for me personally, I think a, a real high percentage. Yeah. I, I mean, in in the answer to the idea of if I, if it's the look of the collar on the dog or the look at the dog, you know, that's been trained on the collar, it's it's C all the above. Like I, I I don't like I don't like the look of them wearing them. I think they look shackled. I think they look. Um, I I see pictures in, and they're such beautiful animals. And so I'll see I'll see some pictures, especially when it comes to some bird dog stuff, where they got two three of them on the dog, and I go, my goodness. So I don't like so that part of it is that is that is part of it. The other part, I don't like, I don't, I don't enjoy the movement of a dog that's been trained on the collar that, that is detectable. So can I tell if the dog's been trained on a collar? I would say not a hundred percent of the time, because I do think some have been trained on the collar that it doesn't alter them nearly as much. I think some, yeah, absolutely. So like if the, there are certain ones, so what percentage can I gauge I, I don't know that I could accurately tell you that. I, I think it depends on a, a lot of variables. But but can I? Is there certain things that dogs will do that I'll go? Huh, yeah, I would I would imagine he was on the collar. There are some yeah. there's some things that you can see. They run a little I, different. I, yeah, I think I think I think some of that 
to an extent is fair, you know, especially with certain, and I, and, and so just so you know, like right now, and she's, I wish you could see a picture of, and I, I'm sorry, I don't have video. I'm very rudimentary on my stuff. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it takes something away, not being able to see each other's faces, I think, when we talk. And, you know, so doing this by phone, I'm trying to be cognizant of that. And, and, yeah. and you know, so, but yeah, I mean, I've got a quote unquote, you know, British lab laying on her back with her feet in the air, asleep, snoring on my mm -hmm. couch right now. Um, and yeah, you know, I think, uh, it, she is a dog that wears stress in a big way. She's probably the best dog I've ever had. My favorite dog I've ever had. Um, you know, but whether she's in a collar or she's not, or before she ever wore a collar, she's the kind of dog that would approach you to get a piece of kibble with her ears pinned. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I think, you know, depending on the dog and depending on the trainer, you, you certain, you certainly can, you know, I, I just to go ahead and, and, make my intentions clear about where I'm heading with this is, you know, I'm a person and, and if you've gone anywhere, but that force fetch series and, and maybe listen to anything else I've ever said, um, I'm a person that I'm, I'm very interested in training discussion. Uh, and, and something that is important to me is, is kind of trying to take all of these traditions of training, people coming from different places and meeting uh, and, and stumbling over semantics is to try and find a way to have a common vocabulary to speak to each other in ways that make sense. So we can explain what we're doing. And I'm not so much worried about our audience during this conversation as I am just speaking with each other, two guys that mm -hmm. have been doing this a very long time. Um, but I, I am a believer in kind of the language, the vernacular of behavioral sciences, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really, I think we can, in a very simple way, dial in most of the things we're trying to do with operant conditioning, you know, and, and classical conditioning. And, and I don't, it's not to, to add too much structure to the point that it's confining, but what it does is when there's, when there's something that is, we just keep stumbling over and something that's sloppy, I think we can look at that and we say, where does this fit into this paradigm? And now how does that compare to the next thing we did? You know, what, how are we operating? And so for me personally, I think regard, if you're using compulsion at all to train, you can make comparisons between tools. And so that would be my next question to you is what tools are you using when you're training in a compulsive fashion? Um, you know, and, and what I mean by that is are you using a slip lead? And when you're like doing your foundation work, you know, I've heard you talk about here, heel, sit, stay type stuff. Uh -huh. um, or, you know, when you're using that slip lead, where do you feel like, you know, and I don't know how familiar you are with this language and my intent is not to obfuscate. It's, it's mostly to, to gain clarity you know, where do you feel like you're doing something different with a slip lead than is being done with an e-collar, you know, and give me that comparison and sure. why maybe there's an advantage to one over the other. Sure. Uh, yeah. So before we even get into that, like I'll tell you right now, you, you're way, well, way more well-spoken than I, I'm just a, I'm just an old, just an old concrete guy. So like your, your language will be different than mine. I think it's a really good point because sure. I don't know. Cause I think that the dog part of it, 
we're probably speaking the same language when it comes to the working the dogs. I think that how we describe it might be different. So I, when I, I might have to dumb you way down and get you on my level at times here, but and that I'll do that because I, sure. I really don't have a, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not proud of it necessarily, but I don't have nearly the, the, the understanding of the robust language part of it. So for me, the simple way I broke that down was how do you use the, what do you use as opposed to the use of the collar in, yep. in, in, in training? Are you, so, yeah, yeah. are you using a mechanical advantage? Like, so, you know, we've got, you know, what I would consider a mechanical advantage would be choke chain, prong collar, slip lead. Sure. Let's sure. Say. Yeah. So I, I do use, I use slip leads. I like them. Um, I use a couple different varieties of them for different situations. Uh, I, I'll use a slip chain at times with certain dogs. Um, I think sometimes it's actually a tool that gets a kind of a bad rap. You know, I don't call them choke chains. I think it's, I think it's a really good way of describing them in properly used. So, so, you know, that's a mechanical thing, but I think that, so I do use a slip chain. I don't use a prong collar, never used a prong collar. Um, I don't see a need for it. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it physically is too much. I, 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 I if I put it around my arm and pull on it, I know what it feels like. And I think that's way beyond what, what's necessary. So mm -hmm. I do use the slip chain for a couple of reasons. I think the slip chain can be a little bit sharper. Um, it can put a little bit more physical um, bite on, but I also think that the, that's not really the, so, so in certain situations with a little bit bigger dog, that's a lot of, a lot of trouble, kind of a handful, I might have to make a pretty strong correction with it to get his attention and to start having him understand some things as far as like a leadership role. So I will use it then, but what I find the most value in it, and, and it's like a minimal thing as much as, as, as least as I need to, or want to be, have to be able to do that. But what I find the value in that slip chain is I really find audible value because I think the dogs are just so sharp and they're just so quick and they're just so willing to do what we want them to do. I think a lot of times that what's preceding that actual pressure is they hear it. And so I can start getting even lighter with a dog using a chain as opposed to a, just a, a flat, a, a slip out of a different material that doesn't have that audible effect. I think they can, they start to anticipate that based on the cue of, of the sound. And so I actually can get lighter, I think with a lot of dogs on a chain than, it, than I can with just a, sure. if it, if it's a rope or I've got a, like, a, I like the biothane material. And so, but there, so yeah, I do use slips. Uh, I use flat collars too with the young dogs. I'll, I don't start any of my dogs out with slips. Um, I typically with a real young dog that I'm just kind of introducing the idea of heel work with, I just use a flat collar. Okay. Um, so nothing, you, no, nothing when, when you say you're using a flat collar, like introducing heel work on a young dog. Yeah. You yeah. Know, is that, are you still using quote unquote pressure on the flat oh, yeah. collar? Yeah. If they move out of, if they move out of heel. So to me, heel work is heel is a position to me more yeah. than anything. So sure. if, if they move out of position, they feel that oftentimes what I'll do is just change directions. And when I change directions, they feel that like I, sure. I do put pressure to them. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's not an awful lot, but yeah, it is pressure. And it's as much as I always say, it's as much as it needs to be. And so I always, I like to, because I think people, we do a lot of workshops where people will come and we start talking about dog training stuff. And I think you have to change. Sometimes I have to change the, the way I describe stuff, um, to people that are coming to workshops because they're not dog trainers. And so they, yeah, I have to kind of, I'm, and I'm good at that because I don't know that I'm, 
the best, uh, you know, you're probably going to come off this conversation going, boy, I don't know. She's really a dog trainer. But <laughs> so I, I, I talk in more like a layman's term stuff. And so I like to, I'll actually use like a numeric scale because I think people can understand the value of numbers. And so like, I always say you need a 10. If, if, if 10 indicates change, like 10, 10 gets change out of the dog, changes the behavior. You always have to give them a 10. Sure. And so I think what, what, gets confusing is people think 10 Ooh, that's a lot on a scale of one to 10 10's a lot yeah well, yeah yeah it is but it depends on where you start your scale so yeah. zero is no pressure and so for me i look at it and i go you got to hit a 10 to get a change so if you give them pressure and they don't change the behavior it wasn't enough you might have gave them a seven seven doesn't change but the problem that people have is they start becoming so they don't understand that you got to start at zero to get an effective 10. So they started a six. Well, then in order to get a change, you only got to go up four, right? To get to 10. No, you got to go up 10. So you got to get to 16. 16 is more than 10. So if you're following along with those numbers, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, so I try to explain it that way. So a 10 could be like me twitching my little finger on the lead. That could be a 10. And it, all it did was it translated down from the lead. The dog felt it on, at the connection of that flat collar and, and adjusted. And if he does it, that's a win for me. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I, I think I follow you there and I, and I see where you're coming from. I think, you know, from, from my perspective, um, regardless of the tool, you know, I, I want to just, and all this, this is just an attempt at clarity. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so to me, a slip lead or a, or a slip chain um, or a wonder lead or a prong collar or an e-collar, they really serve one purpose and it, they don't serve one purpose. Well, okay. They, they serve two functions. <laughs> one would be, in my opinion, what we would call negative reinforcement and the other would be positive punishment. And, and but both of those in this context are you can call it pain, you can call it discomfort, you can call it whatever, but through the use of this mechanical advantage, we're we're introducing this, and I'll call it a stimulus, right? So we're introducing this thing that the dog perceives if it's and it's tactile, which I think is very important to the dog, right? So touch, feel, um, and I think that there, and I think this is going to be a place where there's credence to your argument against the e-collar is that when you have a leash attached to the dog, there's a, there's a much more personal feeling to that tactile feedback you're giving the dog and the dog's giving you. But at the end of the day, when, whether we're talking to me, a prong collar, slip, slip chain, slip lead, you know, whatever nomenclature we're using, what we're doing is introducing discomfort. You know, if you're out of position, that's not, that's a uncomfortable place to be when you're in position. Now you're comfortable, right? Or you're performing a behavior that I'd rather you not perform. I'm going to introduce this sensation and you're going to be less likely to perform that behavior in the future. And, and so to me personally, I think then I, I start thinking in terms of efficiency and, and what I mean by efficiency is what requires the least amount of force to get the most amount of uh, of discomfort or pain, right? Where can I find the sweet spot? And, and so I think that sometimes force, if I'm using a slip lead, I find it, or if flat collar, especially I rarely, for me personally, and this, 
this is very important to me in bird dog training is I'm almost always going to use a flat, flat collar to, to signal to the dog that it's okay to pull. Um, there are times where I don't, it would, especially with bird dogs where I don't, I not only don't care if they take the slack out of the lead, but I prefer they not take the slack out of the lead because I need, uh, I need a little bit of tautness to keep you out forward, understanding that you're the one leading the dance, but that's, that's kind of a different, you know, a different thing, but that's why I don't train on the flat collar in the way you do necessarily. But, but when I get, again, getting to what's an efficient means of implementing pain, discomfort, whatever you want to call it, in, in my opinion, and I use a prong collar a lot because I think it, it allows me to be very subtle with the physical force I use uh, to apply pain or discomfort. And just for transparency and clarity, that's what we're doing when we're working in positive punishment and negative reinforcement. And no matter how nuanced the conversation gets, that's what we're doing. We can describe it that way, you know? And so, and I don't have a problem with a slip. I use a slip a lot. There's always one in my pocket. And as a matter of fact, I went to your website and, uh, that's a pretty screaming deal on those bio things. Please. I might yeah. actually super, super nice. I love them. Yeah. I just and I, them. and I love them because you can throw them in your back pocket, yeah. you know, and it's there. And once you have a dog that understands what's expected when they're on a lead, namely just keep the slack out, keep the slack in that thing for me. Um, then that, then I think that, you know, that is a, a very beneficial tool. So I don't, you know, I don't expect us to align on everything, but I just, you know, to sure. me, that's, that's the way I see the mechanical advantage is it's got a purpose. And the purpose is when I, when I give you feedback on this thing, it's creating discomfort. You adjust your behavior accordingly. And, and now we're moving in the direction we want to move in. Yeah, 100%, 100% man. I, I would say like to simplify how I would say my approach or my thought is with it is I think they learn really well with pressure and praise. And it's all dependent on the timing, you know, yeah. and how you t and so that becomes a very important part of the L of that, you know, linking that part up. But yeah, I, I'm not a, I am a, I, I put pressure on dogs, I trade and I praise dogs, and so, but it it's all, what they get and when they get it is all based on on their actions. And so sure. that, that's, I mean, that's a bit, it's a very very simple way of of explaining it, obviously. But it's if you boil it all down, I think that's 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 pretty accurate. Yeah, and so so I mean, I think what we're describing for the most part is what a, a lot of, especially traditional gun dog types, would call yard work. Um, so we're not talking about where the rubber meets the road in the field, you know, even with bumper play or whatever. And sometimes there's there's certainly an overlap. Mm -hmm. um, and but I, th to me, that's where we get into motivational more motivational training and how and this is where i think that maybe outside trainers that aren't from our world they have a hard time understanding how we still are employing positive reinforcement um which we all do whether we're talking toys or or live game or whatever uh and and there's a strategic way that most of us are doing this whether we recognize it or not uh but when we're if keeping to the yard you know, when you say praise, and this is something that, so, so listening to you talk, it's, it's very reminiscent of when I first got to K2 and started training bomb dogs. And I was for the very first time exposed to 
I had always had bird dog. I grew up with an uncle that ran a preserve. My grandfather was a bird dog man. Um, nobody talked heady about training. You just did bird dog stuff. Uh, but when I got to this bomb dog outfit and started training and it was the, the whole idea behind this group was we took retrievers. Most of them were, you know, most of the people that work there that weren't police dog types like me were retriever trainers. And, and we started having training discussion. Um, and, and, uh, and so listening to you talk is essentially like hearing them then. And I, and I was thinking to myself, well, man, this is, uh, it's, it's not, it's, it's simple, it's basic, but they know what they're saying and they've got better dogs than I've ever seen in my life, you know? And, and even though these guys were employing the collar into enforce fetch, their, their yard work is essentially the same, right? It's sure. nothing new. It's nothing special P- praise for me. And, and just kind of putting it in our box is, is a little sloppy in terms of reinforcement. Um, because it gets into like relationship stuff. And when I mean sloppy, it's, it's very effective. And I, I recognize its effectiveness. It's hard to capture, uh, you know, and say, okay, this is specifically uh, with precision, how this dog was reinforced. And I, I think I always think of praise personally as what I would call a secondary reinforcer, meaning it needs to be paired with something to have originally, to have value. And for the most part, that's how we raise our puppies. We give them a gentle voice and we give them a lot of touch. And I think that touch is what's really important. And they begin to associate that with voice. Cause if every time we made baby voices and stuff and, and told them what a good dog they were and, and applied pain at the same time, that could take on a completely different meaning. Right. So, so just for the sake of knowing where I'm coming from, when we talk praise, I know it's effective. I know it works, but I don't think in terms of reinforcement, we're looking at something that's extremely precise or well-measured. Does that make sense? And do you think that's a fair assessment? Um, you're saying for you or you're saying for me? I'm saying for everybody, to be honest with you. I think praise just from your voice, I, I think is a weak reinforcer. I think it works, oh, but yeah. I don't think it's a, I, I don't think it's a primary reinforcer. Like, like a bird or a piece of food. Yeah. What, um, what, uh, define reinforcer for me. So a reinforcer is something that's that. So it, the strict definition would be something that's make a, a something that makes a behavior more likely to occur in the future. Okay. Right. So if, if I've got, when we talk pressure, if I'm using punishment, punishment, something that's going to make a behavior less likely to occur in the future, reinforcement, something that's going to make a behavior more likely to occur in the future. And so sure. that, those two terms are half of the operant model. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we, yep. So I would, I would disagree. I do okay. think, I do think praise is powerful. I think, <laughs> and I think it is because um, I think it comes back to the nature of a dog. Mm-hmm. I think they really want to please us. And, and I feel like um, the idea of them. So, so at times, I do use other things to reward my dog's behavior. Sure. I, I don't use food. I, 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 and I say, no, I say that in a malaya because there are moments and there are times that I will use food a little bit, especially with young dogs, but very minimal. And I try to do it. I actually try to do it with no food 
for the simple purpose of don't muddy the waters with people, not for myself, but for other people, like people uh-huh. that are, tra- that are following along. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to touch that slippery slope because as soon as somebody, you know how it is, as soon as you see somebody do it one time, that's what they do. And all of a sudden that becomes, well, I can do it. He did it. Well, yeah. I don't give a shit if you do it, but what, what, what I don't, you know, so for me personally, it's really, really minimal with food, but yeah, I, but I, I would say the majority of the um, ways that I do have, think effectively get dogs to understand what it is that I desire from them is by, by praising them at the right time. Yeah. I think it's a really powerful thing. Well, sure. I mean, so I think I, again, I, when I say, I think it's a weak reinforcer, it's still a reinforcer. You sure. know, and it's just, I, so I would, I guess where we disagree is the idea of the strength of it. Like I think it's well, really, yeah. And, yeah. And so when I, I guess to clear it up, when I say strength, I'm getting into pre- precision, you know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, if we think of people that train with food as a, as a primary framework of their training, say like Lauren reward type people. And I'm thinking specifically think of like high level agility, people, trick dog trainers, whatever. Sure. Um, there's no denying that these people get extreme precision and extreme motivation when they're yeah. capturing it correctly. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, for most of us and I, and I'm one of, you know, so just so you know, like I, I train primarily in what I would call like a compulsive paradigm or a compulsive framework. Yeah. Like I train leash and touch and praise. Right. So I, I, to me personally, the praise I think is powerful because it's associated with like when I pet you, when I touch you, when I love on you type thing. And I think that's from a relationship perspective, a little easier for me just to draw a straight line in my brain for what's really reinforcing to the dog. I think our voice, the noise that comes out of our face matters because it's been associated with something. And if it's never been associated with something tactile, then it, then it's lacking power for most of us. Just generally, we're going to touch our dog. We're going to engage our dog. We're going to look in our dog's eyes. We're going to have that oxytocin moment. Um, Those are the things that are powerful. And over time that's been associated with this, tone we make that is associated with praise if that makes sense sure so so there's a, to me that's where the power and praise comes from and we can use it you know the better we are at it the more subtle we can be with it you know and that, and i think pre- that's what makes precision important in reinforcement and in punishment and and so that kind of to me and, and this is not a uh you know i don't want it to sound like i'm just throwing a bunch of two dollar words out there i you know it's 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 important to me that if I'm, if I'm going to try to make the case for an e-collar down the road, just so you know, that's what I'm setting up, right? Like, because, because whether we're talking reinforcement or, or punishment, um, I think precision and subtlety are important. And so the, the most, if I can get a powerful change of behavior, if I can get snappiness, if I can get, uh, if I can get an effective long-term change in behavior with as little input from me as possible, then I know I'm being effective and efficient. And, and so just getting down the road, so we're not hung up on semantics the entire time. Um, I think that's what the e-collar provides us. So, you know, if I've got you on a slip lead, directional force is a very important thing. Once I switch to an e-collar, 
directional force is non-existent. The only thing that exists is the application of discomfort. And so in, in somebody with somebody that's inexperienced, that can be problematic because they're not feeling that anymore. And so I understand that to your point, but with someone that has taken the time to habituate the dog to the equipment and, and educate themselves on the use of the equipment, I think it can, I don't, I think it's completely unparalleled in terms of effectiveness and efficiency in the application of pain. And that's why I think it's important. And I also think that like, it's, it's power for good is so important that I feel the need to defend it. Um, because I think that there, I think with, we're in an age that when it's applied correctly, there are dogs that are going to not only benefit from it, but stay out of the shelter and stay alive because of, if that makes sense. And so that, that's my argument for the collar. And that's where I really wanted this whole last hour to kind of bring us, Sure. you know, and, and, and if I, even if I don't, I, because I think you're stylistically, I think what you do is effective and I think it's important. And I think there are people that want that. And, and, but I, I am, I, it's very important to me that there be a logical and rational defense of the e-collar, um, in the current climate. So if you look at the spectrum, you and I look like we're on opposite sides of maybe a spectrum because I use the collar. You don't, I force fetch dogs. You don't, but when you zoom out to the pet industry, you and I are right next door to each other. And so, um, and, and I, and so, you know, we've already learned that like, you're not against the banning of the collar. And I appreciate you coming out and saying that, you know, but at the same time, if, if nothing else, if, I don't know whether I'm helping with this talk. Maybe you soften your stance on the collar. That would be great if I do. If I don't, that's not the main objective. It's just simply to, to put this into the ether sphere that that it not only has a place. It's got it's got a very it can play a very important role in modern dog training because it is so precise and it allows remote application of what we're using next door to us already if that makes sense yeah uh, it does and and i to so that's there's a lot there and i and i and i appreciate your uh, i appreciate your your the strength in your in the conviction you have towards it that's it's fine i don't have a i have no issue um but i but you know one of the things you had said towards the end there was you know if I would change my stance or, or uh, how did you word that? If, if they were the, of maybe support, just, for maybe it. soft, soften your opposition. Right. And so like when I listened to you there and like one thing, you know, I, I personally, I think if we're talking high level training, you know, it's one thing when we're talking just across the entire spectrum, um, you know, can I, can I look at a dog that's been recalled and not had a proper collar conditioning and is afraid of the collar and still has novelty in the collar. Absolutely. Um, if I go, if I go watch a, a, a good retriever pro on his truck, truck of dogs, you're going to see the spectrum of dogs. And I think the soft dogs or the sensitive dogs, um, could be frowners regardless of how you're applying pain and training. I don't think you're going to be able to tell a difference between, 
a good dog that's worn a collar and one that hasn't in terms of style. I, I just don't, you know, and, and, um, and because, that, and, you know, and that could ahead. be, that, that totally could yeah. be, but I, I think part of this, so part of this for me is, um, and this is, this is, I, I enjoy this. There's, I, I mean, I've got a whole list of, of, of notes that I took from watching the, the 20 some episodes of the, of the series that you had done. Sure. And, and, you know, when you, when we first started talking, you were talking about pace and snappiness and that kind of stuff. And that's just a fundamental difference that you and I have, like that is very valuable to you. And that is something that you're after. I think you call it momentum a lot. Don't you? Is that, is that the same kind of, it's a different, you you use the word momentum quite often. And I think it's, I have it in my notes. You said we're chasing momentum, you know, we're after it, but this is what we're looking for. And so, I think it's a very fundamental difference um, in a, in a bigger picture of the philosophy that we take towards the dogs. That's just one of them. Like yep. I, I, and so does that tool help you get that? Probably, oh, 100%. Pro- yeah, right. For probably. Sure. Right. So, so, but my, but for me, I look at it and I go, that's fine. If that's what you're after that mm-hmm. tool, that tool might help you get that what I'm looking at is like the big picture of why we're training our dogs. And so, Mm -hmm. and, and who's training their dogs and what they're training them for. And I do think that for most people, so, and I don't mean to jump around, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in my head right now from that, (laughs) that, you know, but so, but the, the question of like, could you soften your stance against it? No, I don't. I don't think so because I really feel that strong about it. I, I just really do. But what, what the reason why is not to, it's not to attempt to try to change or take away the ability of the guy on the high end truck with the high level dogs. That's getting, you know, the, that's using that collar to perform what he's trying to perform because more power to him. But what I, what I see is, is that's a really small percentage of the people that own, let's just, I, I don't even want to like, not to single it down to breeds, but there's a lot of Labradors. And, and I think the Labradors the first year got knocked off the AKC list was this year as far as popularity. But other than that, it's been 30 years or something like that. So sure. there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of people that have them and yep. it shouldn't, and it's not a breed specific thing. So I don't want this to sound like that, but let's just talk of retrievers in general. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people that have retrievers of the people that have them, the number of them that drop that are having those, high-end dogs on the truck that are competing and and typically it's competing i think that's an important part of it too so that percentage of people is really small and i don't think that the majority of people fit in that mold agree yeah i think you're talking a fraction of a fraction of a percent for sure totally totally and i think that the slippery slope is when you put the tool that tool it's a pretty powerful tool you you you're really in, in and if I'm going the wrong direction, you tell me, because this is your show and I don't want to. Well, I, well, I think we're getting into force fetch as much as we are the collar. But I I, I don't want to stop you because I, I think you may be drawing, you know, kind of a logical yeah. reasoning for, for not wanting the collar. But so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So the collar part of it is I, I watched your series and I, I'll be honest with you, like your series for me was very different. I thought your, I thought the way, I thought your mess, my takeaway from your series was very different than 
a lot of, and I've watched a lot of them. I don't, I mean, there's a million of them out there, but I, I study a lot of these force fetch things from, if no other reason to try to understand it, but, um, the yours is yours. My takeaway from yours was very different. And so when I watched it, one of my takeaways was it is really, once you go to the collar, which was maybe four or five episodes in after tote, after doing tote stuff, as soon as you went to that collar, that collar became very clear to me. It was a really important part of your process because you moved the dog with it. You corrected the dog with the mouth stuff with it, picking it up. You triggered the idea of going to get the object, take the object from your hands, all that stuff. It was, I mean, it was just a, I thought to myself, and there was a, there was an episode and I don't, I don't have the note in front of me right now, but um, there was an episode 13 maybe, but it was, you had not filmed the episode. You did not share the episode prior because you had run into some issues and the issues sounded like it was the collar didn't work because the variable pressure wasn't working and you had tested it on your hand and you've realized that and your day had gone to shit real quick. And you said, <laughs> I did, and you, said you know what? I'm not going to share it. And I thought, damn it. That's the one I want to see because well, that's, and, yeah, to me, that's, that's really fair. important. That's but very I, fair. But I looked at it and I thought, if you can't get a session that's even worth showing me without the use of that collar, that's the last damn thing I want to have to think about when I go out to train my dog is, am I so dependent sure. on this thing? And so, well, that's, that's fair. I mean, that's, that's fair. I, I, I think, let me, if you don't mind, just kind of, yeah. let's, let's park it there for a second. Let me respond to that one and we'll keep moving. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So for sure, there's a, I, maybe I go, I think I go to the collar more quickly than most. I, because I find it so valuable in terms of precision, precision application of what I'm doing anyway. Right. So if I'm, if I'm using a toe hitch, I'm using negative reinforcement, the constants, the pain, the action from the dog. And this is where we get into momentum, right? Like, and this is why I think it for, and just for geeking out on trainer stuff, I think yeah. it's a wonderful, this is a part in my head of a holistic program and negative reinforcement gives us the power of variable speed, you know, to a degree. Um, and, and I find the collar much less cumbersome than other modes of, of application of pain in that regard. Um, and, and so, and I find it more precise. And so when I was using the collar, I happened to be using that day and it didn't work essentially, you know, I was wondering, I'm thinking to myself like, okay, like I, I, because for me personally, I don't want to make major jumps in levels of pressure. There's going to be times where I vary level of pressure a lot, but, but what I'm never trying to do is pick a fight where I have to creep, where I have to shove the, the level of pain through the roof. I want to be variable in, in, in the ability to create momentum, but I always want there to be a, a consistency. What's more important to me is that the, that the sensation be consistent, that the pain be consistent until you make your action and not that it be ramped up. And so that to me is why when I was unable to get that consistency and, and I, for, for posterity's sake and for your sake, and it makes a lot of sense. I should have left it in there. So people just saw, Hey, this was a bad day. I wasn't, you know, I'm, what I was using was imp impotent. It wasn't working in that moment. But, but I think in terms of reliance, you can absolutely force fetch a dog without an e-collar. Um, 
you're still dealing in pain, right? So you're still dealing in negative reinforcement. You're still dealing in momentum and it just, it becomes, uh, it becomes a more mechanical and cumbersome process, but yeah, I agree. So I'll stop there. Go ahead. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you and that's, you know, not to, and I don't know when, when, and it, I, I guess my, the conversation with, I think we were really talking about the e-collar use in general, specifically yep. as it relates to the, to the force fetch process, take, E-collar or no e-collar, it doesn't matter to me. I I yeah. find the I find the force fetch part of it, it, it and this is a fun, another fundamental difference that we have, and sure. it's and it's just such a big big part of it because once you once you if if two guys in a bar could ever agree on something, they, they, it, yeah. then maybe the the conversation ends. But so but I don't. That's no fun. So we'll keep talking. <laughs> if if, if my thought is this i don't want dogs motivated to do things based on avoidance i don't so so the pain i I appreciate you using the word pain instead of stimulation because sure i think stimulation is a bunch of bullshit it hurts (laughs) and and so and so i look at it and i go but you said it before you said it when we started this i think you called me sympathetic (laughs) i i i Empathy is a really important thing to me. My wife has taught it to me. I wasn't always like that. I've become way more and better as I've got, well, I shouldn't say better, but like better in my opinion as I've gotten older. And I really believe personally, you know, nobody, we, when we work with these dogs, we make a lot of assumptions and, and the dog doesn't have a lot of volts in this. And I'm not saying that they should, but what I am looking at it is, it's a philosophy approach to this. And here's my analogy that maybe parallels it a little bit, but I am not motivated by fear. I, I mean, I, I am to a degree, but you don't get the best me out of fear. Sure. And so you, what I like, and, and it's a cultural thing. I think it's, it's the way we're, it's the way we try to like live in our house. I try to motivate, and I'm also don't think the answer is bribery. I think that's a bunch of shit too. So, I mean, I don't know if I can swear on this or not, but yeah, you're welcome to you're, you're, you, when I start getting going, I I don't know. I don't, I'm not proud of this either, but I, I got, I'm a construction guy. So like I've I've been raised around this world of like, you know, it, but, and so I don't, it's not, but I mean it. And when it comes out, so I'm going to do my best to kind of, button that down a little bit but when sure. when you start when you start putting our house is is built on i think fairness i i, I hope that's yeah. my that's what we we'll want to live on and that means the dogs my kids my wife everything and so i think you got to be fair and i feel like some of the stuff that we're doing that i'm seeing with the dogs when it comes to i don't does it work yes do you get results? Yes. Do you, do the guys that are on those trucks with the high end dogs get the results? Yes. True. Can I, can I get results? Yes. And can they be equal? Absolutely. And it's just the decision on how do you want to get there? Well, and let me, I, let me just, if you, I, I need to interject because we're really, sure. we're going into a lot in a lot of different directions okay. and I, and I do want to stay focused. So, so just let's, let's tie up the e-collar before we move all the way into like uh, the general philosophy stuff. So, you know, we got, we kind of got off on the use of the e-collar and the force fetch, but, but my, my point 
to the e-collar is you can take the force fetch out, right? It's what it's still used for. And you're this again, you know, if you're, if you're going to use a slip, slip lead, if you're going to use a choke chain, you're, you're applying pain, right? Those are, this is what we're doing. Sure. You can be as subtle and as precise with an e-collar as you can with any other tool. Yeah. So whether it just be talking about what sit, stay, whatever, it yeah. can be applied to all of those behaviors in the same way we would apply the other tools. One thing it does for us is gives us much more precision and takes the physical force out of the correction. And so, um, and so again, if we just, we can limit our use, we don't have to, you know, I can use a prong collar to force fetch a dog. I don't have to, right. I, I, I appreciate what the e-collar allows me to do or shock collar or whatever you want to do it. And again, for clarity's sake and for transparency's sake, I'm applying pain, but I'm applying pain anytime I'm training compulsively. And so I don't want you to soften your rhetoric towards force fetch. I want you to be opposed to force fetch. I think, I, cause I think that's important. And I want to come back to that later because I heard you last time and I want you to know I heard you and it, and it made me think, and I've had conversations with people since that podcast where it made us all think. And, and so I want to address that in terms of just being a tool. I don't think practicing training without the e-collar while you're still practicing compulsive methods buys anyone any moral superiority or ethical superiority. I, you know, whether or not you choose to use it is fine, but I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a moral issue because of the tool. Um, I think again, once we habituate the dog to it and the same goes for any tool, uh, the, one of the big problems I see with, with folks that aren't familiar with the tool using an e-collar is novelty, right? And that's what collar conditioning is about. If we don't go through a conditioning process where the dog recognizes the piece of equipment, recognizes the sensation that's associated with that piece of equipment and becomes familiar with it, and then we go try to implement it in training, we end up with this startling effect that what is what I call novelty. And now we make it something to be scared of, scared to death of right? Because it not only is it painful, it's unfamiliar. And, and so if I can familiarize you with that, if I can go on the low end and work in the ranges of discomfort, and if I can take that vibrate function and make it inert so that I can come back later and make it a, a conditioned stimulus, then I, I have a lot of power with that tool to do things that I can't do with any other tool. And, and namely, for me, that is give someone that is a completely incompetent trainer limitations with that tool and still have the ability to operate with their dog because now I've conditioned that dog to that sensation. The dog's not afraid of it. The dog understands it. The dog understands what the sensation means. Timing may be inappropriate, but that would go for any other training device. But now when that dog's off lead, if it's Miss Jones's dog chasing the cat across the street, she has the ability in the moment to actually enforce a command that she wouldn't otherwise. So would it be better if Miss Jones was a good trainer, had the right dog, took all the time in the world to get to the place she's going to get to? Absolutely. That's not, that's not the real world. And so that's why I think this tool is so important and so valuable. Is it, is it, you know, is it better? Would I much prefer Miss Jones being passionate about dog training, select the correct dog in the first place, 
and take three years of that dog's life to get it to the place it should go. Yeah. I think that would be a better end result, but that's, that's not the world most of us are living in, in terms of training for the public. So that, I mean, that's it. I'm off my soapbox on that one, but yeah. that's, that's just my point on the collar. Sure. No, well, I think to, to that point, if the, if everyone bought a, sh- a collar went through what you just described, I, 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 I don't know that I would have much of an issue, but I think the, you said that's not the world we live in is the person that's going to take their time and train their dog the right way. And that's, you're right. But the world we live in is not every person that buys a collar is going to use it the right way and understand and elevate appropriately. And so, so neither we're, we're both, I think in agreement, (laughs) there is no perfect world here. Sure. So, so I, but what I, and, and that, that's not my argument. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to confuse that, but what I do think is, so in, in, and you personally, as you know, you brought up, I think you had mentioned something there about those who tra- train dogs for the public. That's a, that's a, I think that's a big part of it. I think that's a big reason why a lot of you guys are using them. I should say guys, you, guys and girls, but when I, in generalization, trainers, Trainers that are training dogs for the public. I think it's a big reason. Um, I, I, I get it. I, I, I don't like it. I, I, sure. So, but I, I feel like I, I mean, you guys, you guys are good trainers. You don't need them. I don't think you need them, but you, but I don't know after watching what I watched and, and I haven't watched all your stuff. I just watched what you kind of pointed me in the direction of, and a lot sure. of it, that's a force fetch, um, uh, programmer for an example of a dog going through force fetch and it's like i said before it's just a very different thing than what i was expecting because i didn't get much force fetch stuff out of it that i thought was what would be in it like yep. it was it was a i felt like a gate this is a, a a major thing that i think the idea of force fetch itself for trainers in that school of thought i think is a process to add on to because I think stuff has been done before and propel into the future with some oomph, the idea of we are going to, we are going to build this dog off of this philosophy of escape the pressure by doing what I want. And it, and, and it's a, it's, there's speed involved with it. There's snappiness involved with it in your words, momentum involved with it. And again, it's like a big general over, over, it's this thing that stands over the whole the whole idea or philosophy and i look at it and i go i'm a bit opposite like i'm a i'm a i'm a hare like or i'm not the hare i'm a tortoise so it's a hare and tortoise type thing and i am i'm this i'm an i look for steadiness and and i like quiet patience and thought instead of Mm -hmm. At points in your some of your training stuff, it was like you were searching for moments. I think you called it break breaking in or breaking over moments. That's the, that's the last thing I want. And and sure. but it's but it's because it's because how you get what you get is very different than how I get what I get. But well, it's I a do. Diff, I want to say, route. yeah, yeah. Well, it's a different route, and and I would you know, and this is going to be the the place. Like I you know, like I said, you don't want to be afraid to insult. You know, and I, I think I can tell you, I got thick skin, I, man. You can say anything. You I want. think I, you know, so I'll, I will put it this way, you know, and all the people I've trained with the, the idea of what makes a finished dog is different. Right. And, and for me for personally, 
Like yeah. for me personally, a dog is not finished until it's force fetched. Now, can I, do I need to step back? And this is where I heard you last time. And, and this is, and what is, you know, and this is where we could go down a, a serious rabbit hole on what is force fetch. There is, there's a problem because I, you know, I gave you, you know, when I showed you that video, man, and I put this up for a reason because I always felt like there's a lot of woo around force fetch. I think there's mystery, right? And I don't, I'm, I didn't put that up necessarily as an instructional. I wanted to be vulnerable. Sure. I wanted to expose myself and that's what I did. And I also, but I deserve, I deserve to be criticized, right? I mean, that's, you don't do that and not expect to be criticized for what you've got. The, um, in so, in so doing and recognizing, listening to the last podcast and, and talking to friends about this, some of which, you know, well, yeah, it, it's a hearing the criticism is important and it, and it, and it compels me to kind of look in the mirror and go, um, the aesthetic's not good. It's problematic. Can I get what I want? Can I get to a finished dog and get a better aesthetic? Can I make my, you know, because a dogs, if a dog looks happy, odds are it is happy. And that's why aesthetic's important, right? So it's hard to make a dog look happy if it's unhappy. Is it possible? I'm, I'm sure it is, but that's not what I'm aiming at here. What I'm getting at is, can I employ negative reinforcement and have a happier dog on that table and on the ground? Um, happier, you know, and that, and happier that is, than what? Happier than what? Well, it's on a base. It's obviously on a baseline, right? Like, I mean, it's it's all it's on a spectrum. Happier than the one you saw in that video, okay. right? Like, I sure, I'm still sure. not okay. interested. I, you know, yep, I yep, yep. Yeah, you know, I mean, um. Now, now I'll tell you that dog is now a, he's a uh, narcotics detection dog for a department in North, North Jersey. And the feedback I got was he was one of the easiest dogs to put through a course they've ever had. And I attribute a lot of that to having been through that process. Right. And, and so I do think, so when I think of force fetch, it has nothing to do with, well, it, it obviously deals in delivery. It deals in building a, uh, uh, momentum in, in regards to blind. And when I think of a blind, I think of it as something is different than can be built with memory completely. Um, uh, if, if it doesn't have compulsion, in my opinion, it's lacking something. And that's, that's a completely different subject, but I think there's a lot of value. And I, and I'm sure I said this along the way in that, I think the real value is that it's a masterclass in escape avoidance and, and, the benefit is in the adversity and the overcoming of the adversity and the ability now to, to face challenges. Uh, and I'm talking from the dog's perspective and to overcome them with confidence. And, and so there's, it's, it's hard to draw all those conclusions. And this is where, you know, it's hard to explain dog training in this way without some layer of magic, but, but that's what to me is important about the force fetch and while I'll, why I, I, I don't ever want to train without it again, because I think I'm giving something to the dog in the process. Uh, is it, is it tough? Is it stressful? Is it painful at times? Absolutely. You know, um, many of the things that built my character through the course of my life were also that way. And I, like you said, the dog doesn't get a vote. So I, I have to recognize that, but I, but I also see the value in that. Yeah. And, and I see, 
so I, I think there's good points there. And I, I look at it as, you know, you, when you do that with that dog, it, it's, I, I, there's so much about how you are involved with it. And not, I just, that's where I look at it and I go, there's not a lot with the dog. And I, do you think, do you, you said, so finished dog, you brought up the idea of a finished dog isn't finished. I can't have a finished dog if he's not force fed. I don't know that I believe in the idea of a finished dog, quite honestly. I, I don't, sure. I don't, I don't have, one. I, I never do. I don't, I would never sell one under that, but I think that's a terminology that or a definition that is, it's so subjective. Like, I mean, everyone's got their own, everyone's got, got their own ideas. So I throw that term out and I just, so let me ask you this, you know, do you think you can get a good dog, a, a, a dog that is capable in the field and, and on a rel, on a high level? And, and I don't know what the competition guys with the highest earning, what titles sure. is, I don't know what that is, but do so i'm not talking the best dog in the country quote unquote by by its merits of what it's earned but yep. but what you would consider to be a very respectable dog from a from a performance standpoint do you think you have do you think you can reach that without force fetch so so i think this is a i think this this is a really important and interesting question because now we're talking about the subjective nature of what finished is um I've had the pleasure of hunting over some phenomenal dogs that were never put on an e-collar, uh, were never force-fetched, and I consider high, high-quality hunting dogs of a very high standard. Uh, I think, and, and I'm not a, so number one, I'm not, a, I'm not even a retriever guy. I make my living training pointing dogs primarily. Um, retrievers are, are my hobby. They're like, I, I still enjoy retrievers, so most of the ones I train are mine. Uh, and I train for friends. Um, and I think they're, I think, a, I think a Labrador retriever, a good Labrador retriever, regardless of its background is the most useful dog on the planet. Um, and so the, I'm, I'm super into them. I'm super into I, a lot of my friends are retriever trainers. I've learned a lot from them. Um, so, but that, but that said, I'm not a hunt test pro. I'm not a field trial pro. I think you would be very hard pressed, uh, to find any dog that's done anything beyond QAA that has not been force fetched and not trained with an e-collar. Um, do you think it's possible? I'm not saying has it been done because I would totally agree with you. I don't think, I think it's, I think it's, I I don't know. I, I I don't, I honestly don't know if it's possible. It would take, because here's the thing is what's being tested is precision at distance. Yes. You know, and how are you applying enforcement reinforcement punishment at distance without without the e-collar what do you what do you think so what do you think field trials because i i know what i think they measure what do you think field trials measure this that's another good question i think uh i think in the retriever game so i'm a pointing dog guy right Mm -hmm. and i would uh i would say that in a there's a big difference. Dog, I'll, I'll yeah, there's a there's a huge difference. Huge difference. I, yeah, I think I'm, pointing I'm dog field trials. Yeah, I think pointing dog trials are a competition between dogs, and a, a, a great handler is an an enormous asset to the dog. But at the end of the day, it's still a dog on on showcase. Sure. Yep. I think in the retriever game, yeah, I think training plays a much larger role. I think yep. you're Agreed. gonna have, you know it takes a 
it takes a damn nice dog to get trained to that level. And when I say nice, I mean, that's subjective too. My, my Althea that's here on my couch has no business being on a trial field, but she is absolutely with bar none, the best dog I've ever had. And, mm-hmm. and so this is what I want people to know. This is where I find you a sympathetic character because I think you and I probably like the same type of dog. Probably. Uh, yeah. I don't want to be aggravated by a dog. I want a dog to be out of sight, out of mind until I call it into the game, you know, uh-huh. or, and, uh-huh. that's, and that's, now she's been force fetched and, and you know, but at the end of the day, I think she, she had to be, no, not at all. But again, for me, it's, it's, you know, my, you know, my philosophy around the force fetch is less to do with mechanics and more to do with character. Uh-huh. And I think it helped her. I do think it helped her, you know, um, sure. It, it's it, that that's subjective, but at the end of the day, no, she didn't. None, none of a good retriever shouldn't have to be force fetched to be a good hunting dog. No, no doubt in my mind. I think, I think when you start, when I think, and we're in America, we have an objective system in place to talk about what a finished dog is. And I would say that a master hunter or a hunting retriever champion or whatever would be equal to that in Nora would be fine examples of what you could expect of a finished hunting dog. I think it's possible to build those dogs without the collar. I think it's probably possible to build those dogs without the force fetch, but I would say you'd be in, in a 1% category if you did that. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. What I don't agree with on almost all of that, what I don't agree with in, and I don't, maybe I shouldn't, say that i don't agree with it i I probably do agree with you on it what i don't think is that it's accurate or fair is the idea of the measurement of a dog in our country is based on american field trials or ukc ukc or whatever the whatever the the competition dog and that's a damn shame to be honest with you because the reason those things started wasn't to figure out who the best trainer was the reason those things started was to develop dogs for selective breeding well, and I, I think, I, I think, I think that, you know, and I do think the UKC, I think the HRC is still doing, you know, unfortunately what happens is the bar keeps getting pushed higher, right? Sure. Because you get, but it, it shouldn't have been. And I, I agree with you. I think that the HRC, when you're talking about Bill Tarrant in particular, that movement, when it first started Omar Driscoll, those guys had something in mind. And I think it's morphed a little bit, but I think the spirit of that, of that testing system, which is what it is, it's not a competition. You know, it's an, it's an objective standard. I think it's probably gotten pushed a little too far, but I would say, I, th- I think a, a, a hunting retriever, like, so that would be their intermediate step. Like, I think that's a great objective test of a good hunting dog, but I think you could have, it's still going to take hunting. Like you can't have a good hunting dog that just goes to test. You still got to go hunting with it. And there's some I've, great, great hunting dogs out there that have never, ever, ever been tested. You, you want that we are going to a hundred percent agree on. And I think, but I, but I think what's wrong with, and this is another can of worms and, and there's a bunch of can of worms that come off of all this stuff, but this is another one is that's, that is, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a comp, I don't compete with my retrievers and for lots of different reasons, but that to me is an issue that like the way it's set up and the way it's evolved and what it's turned into and the reasoning behind it. And so now, I think there's some pureness yet to the idea of some of the bird dog stuff. And especially, and I'm, I'm so here's, 
here's where I can say, you know, people can tell, call me narrow-minded or not willing to change or whatever, but I'm running my, I can't wait for the snow to melt here because I've got my dog signed up for multiple grouse trials. You know why? Great. Awesome. Cause it, cause it's the most natural thing I can ask of a bird dog to do. You're hunting wild birds. It's a hundred percent. And I go, man, you want to talk about interesting to me, but how does that relate or correlate to hunting dogs? And I get it. And I've talked to all these guys and they're just an awesome community of people. And it's very, I have very different feelings about the collar itself. Like the use of the collar with bird dogs. I'm not going to use one. I don't, I'm training a setter right now without one. And I'm not having any, I knock on wood. I don't want to jinx it, but I, things are going really well, but Great. I, I have seen guys using them in the bird dog world. It's a very different application. It's a very different tool for them, in my opinion. And so I look at that and I go, yeah, so I'm interested. And I'll learn a lot by being in part of these events and going to these things. So, but the, as we go circle back to the retriever stuff, that's where I look at it and I go, man, you're, I really feel like it's robotic. I really feel like it's, um, it, as a trainer, I feel like it's video gamey, you know, like I, I, I think it's like a, it's a little bit of a virtual reality feel for me. And I go, that's not what I'm into dogs for at all. Yeah, no. And, and that's, I mean, I think that's a fair critique. Um, I, you know, I think it's tough though, you know, and, and maybe, maybe there's another game to be built out there. I think these guys, yeah. And I, I always lean like Nora and, and HRC to me, I, I think they're, at the end of the day, these guys are doing their best. They want to be hunters with hunting dogs. And, but I, they want to, you know, I think it's important when you're a dog trainer and I, and, and this is not a jab in any way to, 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 to lay your balls on the table every once in a while and to go out there and, you know, show that you can train to an objective level, regardless of whether you feel like it's, um, I guess, let me put it this way. If you're a trainer that's going to make any claims about what you've got and what your abilities are. Well, to, I think it depends. See, see, I think it depends on the claims you're trying to make. Sure. I, you know, I, I and, and, and quite honestly, we're circling back and it seems like it's funny because, oh, it does tend to come back to the idea of professional, I think, or sure. amateur, professional or amateur. I think it could be both, but with this objective in mind and what is the objective? Well, I've proven myself with trials or winning ribbons or trophies or whatever it is that you get. I, and I can't really speak. I shouldn't speak much to that stuff because I don't know shit about it. I just, sure. I, I don't, I don't know the difference between what you're saying, but what I do know is a dog. And I feel like I've seen and been around it enough where I've talked with enough people to form my, to kind of shape my opinions. And when it comes to that competition stuff, I, it's very disheartening to hear, to talk to a guy and, and have him show me the, the, the ribbons and the accolades that his dog has earned. And he's this, this, and this, and won all this. And, and then I ask him about his hunting season and he goes, well, with who? And I, I said, well, didn't that dog hunt? No, I don't hunt that dog. Trial. Sure. I mean, well, that I, exists, I look at that right? and I go, "What? What is that all about?" Well, I mean, for every one of those guys, there's ten that that hunt religiously, right? And so, I don't know that. So the percentage well, that I see isn't that. And I look at it and I go, "Man, that's concerning as an outsider." Well, and, and I, I, yeah, I, I guess, I guess it is. I mean, you know, everybody's got their own motivations, right? You know, I, I think, again, you know, I think we can we can circle around this subject for a long time. I, I'm not a, so I do, I, I, 
I do participate in a lot of pointing dog field trials. Unfortunately, I don't live where you do. And I'm really, really jealous of you that you have access to the Northwoods, not, you know, assuming not too far from you. And uh, it's one of my favorite places on the planet to be, if not my most favorite, you know, and, and um, there's nothing I would rather do than hunt grouse and woodcock in the Northwoods. And, and nothing I would rather participate in than grouse dog trials. And I've never been able to do that because I live in the Southeast, you know, sure, and, and sure. it just doesn't make sense if I'm going to train for the public to spend a lot of my time traveling and have a family and all that stuff. So yeah. it's maybe one day. Um, but, but, but for now I'm, I'm here and I play my games down here and I have fun and it's a good community. And, and I'll tell you definitely the most of the people I participate in my trials with are, are hunters. And, and then, you know, and we have a a large HRC contingent down here. And most of the ones I know that participate in that are hunters as well. And a lot are, a lot are just trainers, um, but they enjoy the game and I don't have a problem with that, you know, but I I agree like a great, a great test dog and a great hunting dog aren't necessarily the same thing. I would say, you know, based on my subjective opinion, a, a great test dog has a high probability that it's going to be a fine hunting dog in the right hands, given the right circumstances, you know, and, and, but that's, yeah. Know. And that, and that could very well be, I, I'm not arguing sure. that at all. I, I just look at it and I go, I, I know in order to do what I want to do with the dogs, which is create really good hunting dogs and really good family dogs and be capable of doing everything with them all year long. I don't, there's there, it just, it, the need for the the use of those tools, the collar, sure. the, the, the the approach with the force fetch, I, it, I just don't see it. And I, and I, and I, I, I believe in it really strongly that it's that you that you don't need it. I don't think you do. And and I, but that and that's where we just that's just where we different different. Yeah, and, and, yeah. I mean, I don't think yeah, I don't think we have to. But that, and that's it. I think. So, this has been, you know, and I'm, we probably, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how much time we've been on almost two hours, which is, which is fine. And I'm sure so cool going, but I mean, there's so many different things we can, I mean, there, this is, is like, this is like when we talked to, when I talked with Bob, like it was tip of the iceberg stuff. Like true, true. It, what, what's fascinating to me is genetics. And like, and I think all these things are kind of connected and related, but um, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm, I like, I enjoy this stuff, Grayson. I like, I like talking about sure, this stuff sure. and I'm sure I, you no, do too. I, and I do. And I, and I, and I found this conversation really easy and I, 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 and I, you know, and I'll tell you, man, you know, I, I, I really admire the fact that you didn't know necessarily what my motives were. Um, you probably knew, probably got the feeling that we were in separate camps, which is probably something we should discuss anyway. Um, but you had you had the balls to just jump on this thing, you know, cold and and do this like this and 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 I, I don't, I want you to know how appreciative I am that you did that because I think it it gave something to this conversation that it wouldn't have otherwise had, uh, and I and I do think we've had a lot of fun on this one so far. I think we could just continue to go. I think we've, I think we've. I feel like we've made progress. So I don't know that I've, I I certainly haven't changed your mind and I didn't expect to, but, but hopefully I gave you a better insight into at least why I feel like the collar is an important tool. And whether you agree or not, I do agree with you that I, you don't need it. You absolutely don't need it. I do think in the modern era, it, 
it is, I'll, I'll say it again, there's no better tool for the application of discomfort or pain as a stimulus in training than, than that now, uh, or more effective or efficient tool. Um, so, so that's my stance. Your stance is, hey, man, why not just get a dog that you like and treat it well and build a relationship with it and, and train it in the old-fashioned way, which works just fine, and I agree with you. So, yeah, you know. yeah I, think, I think it's – so my I, – yes. I think – so me, what's really important to me is feel, connection, and trust. And I know that sounds really hokey and it sounds, oh, yeah. It, but, it, but, it, but you also have to do – you can't just – you just can't feel it. Sure. you got to do it. And I, I just think that what, what's beautiful about the dog is I do think that they just have that in them naturally like i think it's so much there and when i watched you do your stuff with jonah there were parts of it where i just smiled and i went look at that damn thing he just he loves him he loves you jonah loves you and what i look at it is and and he's willing to go through some of that stuff and you know i i i think dogs are really i i think dogs are really awesome i mean obviously they're just they just they're just built with something that not a lot of other things are and i want to i love it when they give it to me and i don't and i i think they give it to me really naturally if i set myself up to receive it and and i do think you got to give it some things to them like it's a it's a give and take thing and and it's team and it's it's we it's not me and i i just think that that's a that's a it's a mindset but then it has to, it can't just be in your mind. It doesn't, it has to be in your hands. It has to be in your soul. It's got to be like, and I, I don't want to sound weird like that. You don't, I, you don't sound weird at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. There is a, there's a depth to this thing that, that is completely untenable. You can't explain it with science and, and but right. it's absolutely real. And I, and I a hundred percent agree with you. It remind there's a, I, I don't know. I'm going to, I have no idea who to attribute this quote to, but there's one that says uh, a man's ego is a heavy burden for a dog to bear. Yeah. And, and yep. when we talk hunt testing, field trialing, all those things, it, you're, you certainly not only run the risk, you are going to, to put your foot in that, in that world. And, totally. um, and, and so I appreciate, the fact that your aversions to these things are are earnest in earnest sure. right sure. and and so um you know so let's let's you know man i i i, I want to keep talking to you i want us to come back together i want to meet you i'd love yes. to come up here and grouse hunt with you i i do appreciate this and and like i said earlier you know i heard you i know others out there heard you um I know Bob and Nick heard you, you know, and, and it's important for us to take a look at ourselves and, and make sure that it's not just our ego carrying this thing forward. And, and you're a good counterbalance to our world. And, um, uh, and so for that, I, I am certainly appreciative to you. Uh, I want, you know, I'm glad that this was, I think we got to, to be contentious without being disrespectful. And, and I'm appreciative of that as well. Um, and I, I hope we can do 
at least get together in the future. I don't For know sure, we'll do any more podcast or whatever, but thank you very much, Jeremy. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Hey, uh, thank you. And, and, and I, you know, we, we should get together. Cause I think sure. we would enjoy it. I got camp in the Northwoods, man. I, I, I spend all of October up there. I just, I mm-hmm. love, I'm from up there originally. So, but to me, to me, the, the thing with this is I caught a lot. Of, I, I, I will catch a lot of hell. And, and I, I recognize that I, I did, I caught a lot, um, you know, from when I think it was this week that Nick posted it to like to the regular podcast or whatever, but you must've seen it earlier, huh? Cause I don't think it was even open. Available. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw it. So I'm a, I'm, I, you know, they're my buddies. So I, sure. I like support my buddies on Patreon. Which if you've got one, I'll, I'll be supporting you from now on. You're my buddy, right? I After appreciate this, it. Man. Yeah, you could. You I do don't have like one, this. but uh, <laughs> you know, but whatever. I, I'll yeah. definitely buy a couple of those slip, cheap ass slip leads you got. Yeah. Um, oh, inexpensive. No, I don't call them. Cheap. <laughs> uh, no, no, they're not cheap. They're, you're right. They're, so biothane's biothane. Yeah. So I. So I. You know. I appreciate you doing this. I, like I said, I, I, I'll I'm okay with, I'm okay with, I got some real nasty messages from some people about, uh, training about, you know, I, someone told me at one point, someone told me I was a woke trainer and I said, I woke up and went to work. That's the only (laughs) thing I know about that. But so I, I I don't in the, in the old days, I would have, I would have, it would have just chewed me up. I, I was real sensitive to it and it hurt my feelings and I wanted to combat with every single person. And, and I just, I don't give a shit anymore. You know, like I, I, I don't care. I, I do. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a yeah. sense. I'm very sensitive. I'm a sensitive guy. I know that, but I don't, I don't have an issue with folks because the people that, that do things like that, I, I've, I have, I'm trying to learn to have a bit of empathy for them because I think there's something else out there, but sure. that that's fine. But what I, what I really am, I, I love having a conversation with someone who doesn't think like me because you and I just talked about stuff for the last two hours that if somebody's listening to this and really wants to hear true, like in the moment sides of each against each other, but not beating the shit out of each other. We, you and I didn't go at it. I, I never felt once hot. Like, yeah. and sometimes I do get it. And one of the guys, you know, the guys down in the shop, Ben, you talked with in the beginning, was helped me out with setting the stuff up. Ben said to me, he goes, I'm really curious to see what he's going to be like you. And I go, yeah. I said, you know what? I think everything I've seen, I think he's going to be a real good guy. It, it, and, and you proved, you proved that. And I look at that and I go, guys, I'll talk with, I'll talk any day, all day like that. But yeah. it, I think there's value in these conversations if, and only if it reaches people and then they act on it. And that's the same thing with the gun, gun dog at yourself thing. Like, I'm really glad you messaged me. You wouldn't have messaged me if we had not done that podcast. No, uh, no. The, there's a podcast I'm doing tomorrow with a guy who really wants to talk. He's on the opposite side of the coin, man. He, he said, I can't believe what you said. I really love it. Let's talk. So you, you, I'm good with it. I think you're good with it. I appreciate what you're doing. And I, I am a big believer in the idea of we should not all agree on stuff. But, but boy, I, I think the one thing that we should agree on is what we owe the dogs. Like, you yeah. know, without, without them, what the hell are we doing? You know, I'm, no. I'm, I'm real bored. So I think, I think you're, you're, like I said, I, th- I think your honesty, your vulnerability, it, it, it is, is obvious that you mean what you say. 
I hope that you can see what I'm doing as, sure. as, as extreme as it may look from your perspective and still believe that I love my dogs. Um, and that's, that's very important to me and, yeah. and being yeah. able to hold those, you know, those two ideas in your head at the same time is tough. And so, um, so thanks a lot, man. And, yeah, you know, and you. let's, let's stay in touch offline and to do October is I've always, <laughs> you don't know how bad I'd love to be where you are come that time of year. So yeah, it's a, it's pretty special. So yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch, man. I, and I, if I can ever, if there's ever, you know, if you want to do it again, let's do it again. I, I, I don't know where you are with your, your, um, completion, how you feel as far as completion. I feel I, like the last two hours just went by in about 10 minutes. So, yeah, I think we're just like, like I said, I think we've scratched the surface. I think maybe come up with some more pointed things to discuss and get into, but I think, you know, I think we, you know, when I, at first I just wanted to get on here and, and defend my position. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, and defend my camp. And then the more I thought about it, like what I don't want is camps. Yeah. You know, I want us to all be under the same tent. Right. Totally. And, 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 and so hopefully people can hear this and hopefully it doesn't sound hokey, you know, but recognizing that there are threats to our way of life, uh, not just the banning of collars. And I'm glad, and I thank you so much for recognize, maybe not, saying that it's something that should be just tossed out the window. No, um, no. But I think, you know, when we do that, that's that slippery slope of the great thing about being an, an American is that you get the power of responsibility. We have guns, we have things that yes, they're, they can do terrible harm, but it's not the tool. It's the intent of the user. And, um, but at the end of the day, we're hunters, we're dog lovers, we're dog people. And, and that makes us a hell of a lot more alike than it does different. And, yeah. and, and hopefully we can all recognize that. For sure. For sure, man. All right. Uh, let's, uh, like I said, I'll reach out to you offline. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to knowing you for a long time. Awesome. Appreciate it, buddy. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. All right, man. Take care.